AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the crop insurance industry. With increasing commodity prices, higher price volatility, and rising input costs, America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance more now than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting 256 million acres of farmland and 350 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Chairman Goodlatte, thank you very much for being a guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. It's great to be with you and your listeners. I'd like to begin with uh, the issue of immigration. A deal seems to be near in the Senate. So will the House be able to pass immigration reform this year? Well, the House has been very hard at work on uh, immigration reform. The Senate has gotten more attention, but uh, we have a group, a bipartisan group, uh, has been working uh, quietly uh, for a number of years now, as a matter of fact, and uh, they are also uh, close to an agreement on uh, uh, a, uh, an approach to immigration reform uh, that would deal with uh, all of the different aspects of it, both uh, enforcement, uh, dealing with those people who are not lawfully present in the United States today, uh, 10, 12 million people or more, and uh, dealing with legal immigration reform, which is very important, particularly for uh, the agricultural community, because we need to have uh, a temporary worker program in the event that the Congress is able to agree upon some kind of legalized status for people who are not lawfully present in the United States. That legalized status will almost certainly allow them to work anywhere they want to. And uh, Work on farms and in agricultural processing plants is tough, hard work, and uh, we may find that a number of the people who are doing that work now uh, go on and do other things. That's certainly what happened in 1986, the last time there was uh, a major immigration reform bill that uh, gave uh, at that time a very direct pathway to citizenship for people uh, who were uh, not lawfully present in the United States. When that occurred, the problem became that uh, there was no uh, workable uh, temporary worker or guest worker program for agriculture. There's been the H-2A program that is very cumbersome, very costly, and uh, it is very bureaucratic and does not meet many farmers' needs because they can't get the workers when they need them, where they need them. And the wage rate is not based upon the market conditions but based upon what the bureaucrats decide they need to pay in order to be sure that no U.S. citizen would turn down the work, when in many instances uh, that figure is simply not determinable and the figure they do come up with so high that you cannot uh, be competitive in agriculture and use it. So we have to come up with a new uh, temporary worker program uh, that will cover this problem, and that is uh, a commitment that I have made on the House side and said so many times publicly, must be a part of any uh, step-by-step approach that we take to uh, reforming our very broken immigration system. Let me turn to agriculture. Uh, You've been very active in that committee for many years. 
Congressman, do you think that the Ag Committee is going to take up the Farm Bill this spring? Well, I certainly hope that we do. Uh, I know that Chairman Frank Lucas has been working very hard on this now into the second Congress that he's been working on it, and he's worked very closely with the ranking member, Colin Peterson, to try to come up with uh, a farm bill that can pass through the House. But it is faced with a number of very serious challenges, the biggest one being the fact that we have now uh, a national debt exceeding $16 trillion and uh, annual deficits that for the last four years have exceeded a trillion dollars and will probably be close to that range again this year. And as a result of that, there needs to be cut, cutting back uh, of spending in every part of the federal budget, uh, and that includes agriculture, and most especially with regard to what is now close to 80% of the farm bill, and that's uh, the nutrition programs, particularly the SNAP or food stamp program, which is projected uh, to be uh, 79% uh, of the next farm bill based upon the numbers that the chairman was using in the last Congress. That's grown by more than 270%, uh, close to $80 billion per year, $800 billion over 10 years, and it is simply uh, out of control and needs to be reformed, and there were not enough reforms with regard to food stamps in the uh, bill that passed out of the committee last Congress. It's one of the reasons why I voted against the bill. Another major area that uh, has been subject to some contention uh, relates to the dairy program. Uh, this is a program that is very important, obviously, for dairy farmers, uh, has not worked well, and uh, needs to be reformed. In fact, I was a part of a bipartisan group, uh, working group, that uh, worked towards reforms, and about 80% of the reforms that were in the Farm Bill proposal that passed out of the committee last year are things that uh, came from that uh, working group and would be, I think, uh, very welcomed by most dairy farmers as well as uh, uh, the dairy industry and consumers. However, 20% of that is very contentious. That relates to the issue of supply management, something that I am uh, very, very much opposed to. The Speaker of the House has been very outspoken against it, and quite frankly, we need to come up with uh, a new dairy program that uh, would uh, allow farmers to keep more money in their pockets, cost the government less, and not involve the federal government in making production decisions on individual farms. That's what uh, I propose, along with Congressman David Scott uh, of Georgia, a bipartisan alternative that seemed a far better route to go than a proposal that would have inserted the government in an industry's supply decisions. That's something that we have moved away from in agriculture in recent decades. We should not move back toward that with regard to dairy. Let me ask you, since you're talking about the Farm Bill and also all the issues it has on the left and the right, you had over 40 Republicans who uh, seemed to be unwilling to vote for a Farm Bill last year. Uh, you voted against it uh, in the in the committee, I take it. Uh, also, you have people on the other side who say that if you cut the SNAP program in any amount, they're going to vote against it. So has that changed to the point that a bill could be passed this year? Well, we don't know. Uh, I am hopeful that those uh, who have tried to hold the line on these entitlement programs, the mandatory spending programs, which make up 
close to two-thirds of the entire federal budget now, which is a transformation from 30 years ago when two-thirds were the discretionary programs. These programs that are on automatic pilot, like the food stamp program, simply cannot be sustained. And therefore, if there's not a greater willingness to go and look at the programs and say there are some real reforms we can make to cut out waste, fraud, and abuse, to make sure that people with higher incomes don't qualify for food stamps, unless there's a stronger willingness to do that, it will be difficult uh, to get a farm bill out. But in the last Congress, out of the $800 billion in spending uh, that the food stamp program is projected to spend over the next 10 years, the total amount of reforms was $16 billion, uh, less than 2% of the total uh, cost of this program. And the program isn't even being cut 2%. It's just it's just going to grow 2% less than it would grow otherwise. It's simply on an unsustainable trajectory and needs to be changed. Now, there are also many important things in the Farm Bill that will draw support uh, from a number of folks. For example, the conservation provisions uh, uh, were in need of reform, and uh, I think uh, that Chairman Lucas and his uh, uh, staff uh, did a, a great job with the reforms that they did uh, in that area. And I think that uh, that's something that uh, will, I think, draw uh, a lot of interest and a lot of support. It streamlined and simplified those programs and ensured that the goals of the program remain, but simplified the process for farmers uh, to uh, comply and uh, for the Department of Agriculture to attain the goals. Chairman Goodlatte, is there a rift between the Midwest and the Southern interest in uh, in writing this farm bill that may also cause some difficulty? Well, you know, in uh, agriculture, on the Agriculture Committee, the divisions often do not uh, fall along uh, party lines like they do with a lot of the legislation you see in the Congress, uh, but they fall uh, not so much along regional lines, but dependent upon what type of crop is grown in what part of the country and sometimes how the crop is grown and uh, the, the nature of the topography in the land. So uh, members of Congress uh, are cognizant of that, of the needs of uh, their constituents, of growers in their area. And if they are doing that at the same time, they're keeping an eye on the overall cost of these programs. I think that uh, helps to make sure we achieve a balanced uh, farm bill. But there's no doubt that uh, different proposals can have different impacts on different uh, farm uh, uh, commodities, and that, of course, is reflected in the attitude uh, of the members of Congress who may represent the farmers who grow those crops. Well, in saying that, there's one of these, the renewable fuel standard, that the Midwestern congressmen uh, approve of because of the increased value of corn due to making it into ethanol. Uh, you have expressed concerns about the renewable fuel standard. Do you think that uh, it will be taken up by the House uh, to modify or repeal this year? I think that it will. Uh, this is not a part of the Farm Bill, but it is because it's the primary jurisdiction of the Energy and Commerce Committee since it relates to uh, using uh, agricultural production for the production of, uh, of fuel, of energy. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the Agriculture Committee has taken a keen interest in it, and obviously, again, uh, you have divisions based upon whether you are a producer of corn or whether you are a user of corn. So uh, in uh, many parts of the country where you have uh, uh, livestock production in cattle, uh, dairy production, or uh, 
poultry or hogs or sheep or goats. Uh, there's a lot of concern that the government is placing its big thumb on one side of the scale between the use of corn for food and the use of corn for fuel, uh, and very, very uh, wrongly, in the opinion of many, including myself, putting that heavily down on the side of using it for fuel. There's no mandate in the law that uh, uh, grocery stores or uh, restaurants or food processors have to buy a certain number of turkeys or chickens or uh, uh, sides of beef, but there is in the law a mandate now that every year more and more uh, production of ethanol has to take place, and since corn has proven to be by far uh, the most viable and in many respects the only uh, large-scale viable uh, source for ethanol production in the United States, the uh, result of that is that uh, uh, pressure on corn production and corn prices has been very severe. It was especially severe last year during the drought, and the result of that was that uh, the law, the Renewable Fuel Standard, allows the administrator of the EPA to step in and uh, uh, suspend the mandate when that occurs, but now for the second time, the administrator declined to do that. So I introduced legislation in the last Congress that would have automatically uh, have suspended that when corn stocks fell below a certain level. I think the ultimate solution is to eliminate the renewable fuel standard. Uh, there is a great desire, and uh, I certainly would be a proponent of producing uh, as much off of farms that can be converted into energy as possible, but not with an unfair standard where fuel is uh, given a huge leg up over food when it comes to using corn uh, and other uh, edible commodities. So if you can find ways to produce more ethanol from switchgrass or a multitude of other uh, non-edible food sources, we should be encouraging that. And to the extent that uh, uh, those who produce it from corn do so in a fair competitive environment, uh, I would have no objection to that. But the government's fuel standard sets uh, an unfair competitive advantage that severely harms uh, the uh, farmers who need that food to feed their livestock. Now, it's not just affecting corn prices, because when a wheat farmer sees that corn prices are going so high, they stop planting wheat and start growing corn, and as a result, wheat prices then go up with a diminished supply of wheat. It's having an impact not just in the United States, but internationally. And as a result, quite a coalition, uh, not, in, not just in the entire food chain, livestock producers, uh, uh, food processors, grocery manufacturers, um, uh, restaurants, uh, grocery stores are all interested in seeing this changed. But also now you have automobile manufacturers, uh, petroleum producers, people who make uh, machinery that gets gummed up uh, when you put too much ethanol in the fuel blend. And in addition, you have hunger organizations, environmental organizations, and consumer groups now all starting to band together to say the renewable fuel standard is a bad idea. At the very least, it needs to be changed to take corn uh, out of it. Uh, but uh, ultimately, uh, the government needs to get out of the business of deciding whether corn and other Commodities should be used for fuel or food. Let uh, the marketplace determine that. Let consumers determine that. 
Chairman Goodlatte, uh, in conclusion here, I wonder if you could comment on whether you think Congress will regain its balance after the uh, budget cliff you went through and the sequester and be able to be effective in uh, passing uh, responsible legislation during the remainder of this session of Congress? Well, I think we're making progress. We passed uh, an excellent budget uh, in the House uh, that balances in less than 10 years uh, without raising uh, taxes, uh, that reforms some of these uh, uh, mandatory spending programs, entitlement programs, and that's what we really need to do for our children and grandchildren's future, for the future of our economy. Uh, the Senate finally passed the budget this year, which is, I guess you could also say is progress. We've certainly been wanting them to do that. Unfortunately, it adds another trillion dollars in tax increases uh, and never balances. But nonetheless, it's a starting point, and so I hope that we can uh, continue to work for greater fiscal responsibility. And uh, we're starting to see some of that take place as the government is forced to recognize that it has to move toward living within it huge deficits uh, are going to have uh, not only a dramatic impact on the standard of living of of, uh, those coming after us in the future, our children and grandchildren, but it's also uh, having uh, a a serious uh, impact upon the economy of the country today. When the government acts fiscally responsibly, uh, it sends uh, messages throughout the entire economy, and uh, as we move in that direction, I think we'll see our economy grow and uh, I think the Congress will get a better appetite for understanding that we're sent there to make tough decisions, uh, set priorities, and then live by them. Chairman Goodlatte, thank you very much for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. Uh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by the crop insurance industry, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. I'm Ken Root.